Hi, this is David Miller from FrogtownMusic.LA, streaming strategy for those who need it. I get my morning coffee at Loquat, the new private label roastery by Kumquat Coffee. Nothing's better than having my morning coffee with your morning coffees, Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchart. Take it away, guys. Shazam turns 20. We walk you through the milestones and look back at all of the groovy things that have happened since they've been around. From Billboard, TikTok curators are helping songs go viral and labels are writing checks. And from Peter Sinclair, how much should indie artists fear a major label push for a two-tier payout system? We've got these stories, and trust me when I say we've got so many other things we're going to talk about. (laughs) Jay and I have been talking all morning already. We just hit record now, so here we go. Relax. Let Jay and I walk you through these fascinating stories. It is time for the Your Morning Coffee podcast, starting now. Stand by for transmission. This is London Calling. Wake up! Your morning coffee is on the air. 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 Standing by. Your morning coffee, the weekly music news for the new music business. It's the highly curated, agitated, advocated, moderated, and liberated digital music information that you need to know. We are your digital music authority. And now, from our studios in Hollywood, California, here's your hosts, Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchart. Well, Jay, oh my goodness, uh, it's it's an hour in. We just hit record and we've been talking for an hour. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we could have gone another hour. There's just so much going on right now. And it's just such an exciting time in, in the music business. Um, oh, before we get going, uh, thanks to our friend David Miller from Frogtown oh, yes. for that cool, uh, cool intro. I've known David for decades. We worked together uh, Universal. Um, he used to work for Capitol Records. Anyway, he's got this company called Frogtown, and they work with clients primarily on streaming strategies. So a good check guy. out Frogtown. Thank you, David. And a cool name for a company. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm just saying. So yeah, he's a he's a coffee snob like oh, I am. Oh, he is. Uh, we we sometimes just get together and you know get snooty about how we make our coffee. You know, and this is totally unrelated to music at all, but I've done a tour up in Santa Barbara of a company. Have you heard of a company called Fringe Coffee, F R I N J? No. They are bringing no. different varietals of coffee to be grown in California. Um and uh it it's frighteningly expensive. Uh, $100 a pound, some crazy number, but it is unbelievable wow. and they are bringing sort of the 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 technology like that's used in wine. Uh, and and growing of grapes to coffee coffee excuse me <clears throat> and um, 
Yeah, wow. I've toured a couple of oh, different coffee go. orchards locally. So just as an FYI, Jay. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I'll be buying uh, the expensive brand, but you, you know, if we ever get a free sample. You say that now, but I know you well, so perhaps. Yeah. So we've got All so right. much to cover, Jay, and um, it's it's we, we it seems like since we've been doing the podcast that every... Um, every year or every six months that it's so hard to choose what stories to talk about because there are just so many great stories and you do such a great job on the newsletter of bringing all that stuff in but I know it's a ton of work on your side because you have so much to choose from and um, it's a labor of love though you know I was telling you before we hit record that it's like a treasure hunt each week plus I'm so fortunate that I have really great uh, friends and there's so many great publicists that send me um a lot of these stories, um, you know, you and I have really good relationships with people at some of these publications. You know, um, we, we love uh, Shirley over at Variety and Glenn Peoples at Billboard. And we love, you know, Tim Ingham and his team over at Music Business Worldwide and, you know, Bruce and Hypebot. There's so many of these great sources. So it's there's really an embarrassment of riches. Um, but lately it's been a little bit crazy. It's all the great stories that we have, you know, at our fingertips. So, and your morning coffee is really designed. If you're not an avid freaky, um, news junkie, like we are music news junkie, um, you can just scan through it and read the blurb from the first dozen stories and, and sort of get a sense of what's going on in the industry. And that's really, you know, by design. Well, and I've known you now for more than 20 years. And even before you started doing the newsletter, I would always look to you. You were that guy. I would step into your office and say, "What's going on?" and and then I would just listen because you would you would rattle off everything that was happening. And as I said, you know, in, in our conversation this morning, which is true, you know, when I was a student and just in life, I'm always looking for those resources for people that know more than me. And uh, there's a lot of people that know more than me, and I always try to glom onto them and learn from them. And you have always been that for me. And if you're not mm. Subscribing to the well, newsletter, which most people listening are, it's that is that resource because you that's your you are freakish about that stuff and it's awesome. Well, thank you. I mean, I'm I'm really standing on the shoulders of giants. I'm just curating this stuff, and I may not be the smartest person in the room, but I'm certainly the most curious. And what I love about our podcast is now a lot of these people that are writing these pieces have become friends mm-hmm. and we reach out to them and we'll say things like, you know, what does this mean? And we're going to get into one in a minute um, where a piece came across that it was just way over my head. It had like computer code <laughs> and lasers yes. and all sorts of crazy stuff. And I sent it to a dear friend of ours who we used to work with and uh, really got his take on it. And it, it made it so even knuckleheads like us can understand. Absolutely, absolutely. Before we get further into this, we also want to uh, thank the folks that bring us to the party every week. And we've been so blessed to have great sponsors, uh, including our good friends over at Banzoogle, built for built by musicians for musicians. Banzoogle is an all-in-one platform that makes it easy to build a beautiful website and EPK for your music. All the features you need for a professional website are already built in. Hosting and a custom domain name, dozens of fully customizable design templates, tools to sell your music and merch commission-free, commission-free crowdfunding and fan subscription features, mailing list tools to grow your fan list and send lose, to send lose, newsletters. <laughs> it's much better when I pronounce it properly. Uh, social media 
media integrations and live support from their musician-friendly team seven days a week. Your Morning Coffee podcast listeners can go over to Banzoogle.com, try it free for 30 days, and use the promo code MORNINGCOFFEE, all one word, to get 15% off the first year of any subscription. That's Banzoogle.com, promo code MORNINGCOFFEE. Yes, sir. And the Your Morning Coffee podcast is also brought to you by one of the best uh, sites on the web for getting music news, uh, digital music news, and that is uh, HypeBot. Since uh, 2004, HypeBot has chronicled the new music business and the trends, technologies that are changing how music is discovered, consumed, marketed, and monetized. It's edited daily by our friend and founder, Bruce Houghton, uh, with help from Alana Bonilla. HypeBot and sister blog, Music Think Tank, are published by live music discovery and marketing platform, Bands in Town. And speaking of Bands in Town, over 65 million live music fans trust Bands in Town to get personalized concert alerts, recommendations, and messages from their favorite artists. It is the number one artist services platform connecting over 550,000 artists with their super fans. Managers, labels, agencies, and artists access their own dashboard to manage and promote their tour dates across all platforms. Yes, indeed. Big thanks to Banzugo, Hypebot, and Bands in Town. We really, really, really appreciate that. Yes, sir. Speaking of appreciation, how about my buddy Jay Gilbert? If you don't know Jay, every Aww. week I get to do this podcast with him. He is one groovy dude. He is the co-founder of music marketing and strategy company Label Logic, a curator of the Your Morning Coffee newsletter, and a former executive with Universal Music, Sony Music, and Warner Music Groups, and of course Fox Home Entertainment. He went over to the dark side briefly to the film and TV business, but he came running back <laughs> to music. It's a totally different business, my it's friend. And uh, this this guy sitting across from me is Mike Etchart, longtime host of Sound and Vision Radio, formerly of SST Records. Warner Music, Capital EMI, and Universal Music Groups, and he is the first member of our Your Morning Coffee book club, which next week we're going to talk about uh, a really cool uh, book that we're both reading and just about uh, done with uh, called Sonic Boom, The Impossible Rise of Warner Brothers Records, and uh, if you get a chance, uh, we highly recommend it. Um, Mike, you're a little further in it than I am, but... It's it's really well written, and uh, I thought I'd heard all those stories about you know Warner Brothers records and reprise and all of that, and uh, I hadn't, and I'm learning a lot, and it's really uh, funny and enjoyable. Yeah, well, you know, and and music companies or just companies in general in the entertainment space, I think, do a terrible job of onboarding people when they go to work for the company and and explaining to them kind of the history and how things got to where they are and. Um, you know, when when I worked for Warner Brothers Records, you know, you you, you listen. I mean, because I'm interested in history anyway, and so you listen and you you kind of, you know, you learn you you hear factoids and but rarely do you get a chance to really connect everything and kind of see the true lineage and uh, this book and 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 as I mentioned, I think last week, um, I I knew about it but I hadn't read it yet. But when Mo Austin passed away, the the former chairman of of that great label. Um, it was motivation for me to read the book, and so, and when we talk yeah. about it again, and I then I so I read first the SST Records book, which and I've worked there, and then the Warner Brothers Records book, and it's very in many ways very similar um, paths to success, not 
you know, of course, greater yeah. success with, with with Warners, but still success nonetheless with SST in a different way. So it's it's been, and we love these music books. We love the documentaries, and it's oh, just yeah. you know, it's 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 great fun stuff to learn about the history of our business. And uh, yeah, and we'll talk about it a little bit more next week. And and before we jump in, um, there is a really great book called Appetite for Self-Destruction oh, good one. Uh, about the good music one. business. And it's it's absolutely my my favorite um, by Steve Knopper. It, you know, he writes for Rolling Stone and uh, Billboard and a lot of, uh, you know, really great publications. But if you ever want to read a really good book on the music industry and, and how it evolved, not necessarily at the label level, but really more on configurations and just the politics and all of that stuff. It's so good. Uh, appetite for self-destruction. Yeah. Um, we talked a little bit uh, in the intro about um, helping uh, or being helped to understand certain articles. And sometimes we'll send them to, you know, Chris Castle over at Music Technology Policy. And he's so great at, you know, taking complex legalese and explaining to us, you know, um, what that means. Um, I had the pleasure of having coffee with him recently and it was, he's just such a great guy and so willing to kind of share his uh, wealth of knowledge. And that happened again this week. There was a story that came out on a website called Towards Data Science. And the, the headline caught my eye. It was Spotify Case Study. Is there a secret to producing hit songs? And uh, they kind of dug into um, how you can you know, use data to figure out how to construct a hit song. But the article was well over my head. There was like computer code and you know, all sorts of crazy things in there that I, I didn't understand. So I sent it to a mutual friend of ours who we know knows this stuff and data science. And he explained it in a way that I think was really good and <laughs> helps knuckleheads like us, you know, do it. So I, I'm just going to jump into what he said about the story and it'll all make sense. He said, remember back in the day, the majors were besieged by tech startups pitching their quote unquote recommendation engines. And you and I remember that well. Mm -hmm. um, he said they were nonsense. They did audio signal analysis that told him things like BPM, beats per minute, energy level or loudness, the key of the song maybe, and, you know, that type of thing. So, you know, if you like music at 130 beats per minute in D minor, you know, that starts quiet and gets loud, well then, you know, we'll be able to name more songs that meet that criteria because you'll love them too. This is the purest form of musical ignorance possible. <laughs> totally disconnected from reality. <laughs> and we should mention that uh, this person is, has a great sense of humor. <laughs> So he, he's he's a he's yes. a bit uh, uh, bit snarky. snarky and and yeah yeah so uh, as, as so and and you know to continue all um, all of these startups failed except for a company called Savage Beast Technologies. Now you would be forgiven if mm -hmm. you don't remember Savage Beast Technologies. They were they were at the time they were creating software to help people buy more music in record stores. So they started out like that. But the way they did things, um, instead of quantifying music based on audio characteristics, they employed a boiler room <laughs> full of unemployed musicians <laughs> who built out their database with much more useful information like, hey, I love Little Feet. 
Do you know any other records that Lowell George, the former, the late singer of Little Feet, might have played on? Of course, the whole recommendation engine concept was wildly overvalued anyway. So Savage Beast Technologies pivoted, became Pandora, and the rest, as he says, is uninteresting history. <laughs> and for those that don't know, Savage Savage Beast and like Music Genome, you know, they might know it better by by that name, but that was their technology. Yeah. You know, so so what this this gentleman said is that the guy writing this article is doing something that's kind of close to that. He's trying to quantify music so that he can predict what would be a hit, you know, based on those measurements, you know, which are pretty murky anyway. Right. So, um, well, I'll let you read the the, the next. Part. <laughs> he says it's a fool's errand. But to his credit, he gave up. And his paraphrase conclusion is right on. None of this shit works, but it's good to be popular and also marketing. So, you know, it's yeah. and and I and when when and I'd kind of forgotten, I remembered a little bit, but it, it, there was a period of time where that was kind of the technology du jour that everybody was yeah. really jumping on yeah. and really thought that this is the future. We can predict what popular songs right. are. We can give have data to help make more popular songs. We've decoded yes. it, right? We've we've decoded the the mystery, and we know that if if we just find these attributes of this file, then we can create these hit songs. But uh, sadly, that really wasn't the case. So I thought that was really interesting to dig into. I mean, today um, it's so much different with these algorithms. Um, they're so accurate. You know, we talk about this all the time. You know, um, it's not necessarily about discovery, as Will Page points out. It's about rediscovery with, you know, release radar and, and things like that. And I'm finding that, you know, Pandora was built on, you know, this technology that you were talking about, Savage Beast, Music Genome. Mm -hmm. And it's very good at recommending music that you'll like, but not based on beats per minute or the waveform, but really more on, you know, that little feed example. You know, you like Neil Finn? Well, you might like Crowded House. You might like Split Ends. You might like some of these other great singer-songwriters. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, you know, we've, we've talked a lot about our entry into music was was from the musician side of things and, and playing in bands. And, you know, there's a certain magic to music. And, and I don't know that I want to quantify a lot of that sometimes because... It, it part of yeah. it is when you're in the room with other people and playing and coming up with things and sometimes you just fall on something and it's it's immediately you know immediately when you do and oftentimes it's an accident yeah. and um i i well, well yeah. it's and oftentimes it's not something you would normally listen right. to um i've fallen in love with music that is just so not what i typically listen to so for example this last week um um, I was talking with Richard Danielson. He's the drummer for Vintage Trouble. And they have one of the best singers on the oh, planet in Ty Taylor. I mean, these guys are amazing. I didn't know he wrote songs. And he's he played me some of his recordings. And they're really interesting. It's just unlike anything I've ever heard before. You know, it's a little bit of Dr. John mixed in with some, you know, Keith Richards licks. And it's just really, really different. And then that same day, a friend of mine sent me this video by the rock band Ghost. Oh. And if you've ever seen these guys, you know, it's like they wear like sort of like kiss makeup and these really religious outfits and things. And you would think that it would be like Cookie Monster vocals. And it's super, super melodic. What was the song? Uh, Call Me Miss Sunshine, I think yeah. it was. 
And it was infectious, like just the layers of harmonies and the, the skill, uh, the musicianship of the guys in the band. And it's totally unlike things that I normally listen to. But that, that goes to that discovery. If you're just looking at beats per minute or what key it's in, you're just going to be, it's like you're breathing your own exhaust. Yeah, as this person said, it's a, sort of a fool's errand to, to think about. And it's, again, I, I don't want to I don't want to know too much about the magic sometimes. You know, speaking of that, you, yeah. uh, and you guys are doing the, the, behind, the music, or behind the set list podcast, which, which is fantastic, you and Glenn yeah. Peoples. And, and you had, uh, your, your most recent one was with our favorite singer. Um, and and yes. um, it's, it, it's the same thing, that kind of set list magic which is you know putting songs together and creating you know whether it's a set list just for your own listening enjoyment or when you go to a concert and you see and we've all been to concerts where it's yeah. not right where it's it's stilted or it's awkward and that yeah. so so when you talk to John Wade in the most recent episode it's you know there there is such an art and a magic to the creation of set lists when it's live and Oh, it's just, I don't want to talk about algorithms. I want to talk about magic. There's definitely, yeah, there's definitely a, uh, a skill to putting together a good set list, you know, and it's so interesting to talk to. We talked to Ann Wilson from Heart, and she does it differently than, say, John Wake right. does, you know, which is different than Kurt Smith um, does. But uh, it was such an, a, an amazing conversation because... Um, I had just shot some photos uh, of John Waite. I'd spent some time with him. I've done in a few of his albums. And so we have a pretty good relationship. And we met in the Doghouse Studios, um, which is run by Roger Carter. He plays drums for John Five. Mm -hmm. He's played with a lot of people. Rick Springfield, amazing, amazing drummer. But he has a studio called the Doghouse. And instead of doing it over Riverside or Zoom or whatever, we just met there in the studio I brought him a big cup of coffee and we just sat down and had an amazing conversation because he's worked with so many incredible people, you know, Alison Krauss and, you know, he's played the Grand Old Opry. You know, this is John Waite, right? He's been in the babies. He's been in bad English. So <clears throat> listen to the podcast because it's, it was our pilot episode, but it's, I think the seventh or eighth one um, that we released and it is charming. He has the best stories and uh, I think really he's very it. much a raconteur. Um, he is, <laughs> he's just, he's just funny, you know, and he's, and one of those guys too, who, uh, you know, you see it's, you know, the voice is a, is a funny thing and it ages and, um, but certain artists and he's one of them, he just hasn't lost anything, you know, and he's, no. he's no kid. No. He's been doing it for still, a long time, yeah. but boy, he still has the voice. He still plays those songs in the, the same key. He doesn't play him a step or a half step down. There's a documentary coming soon. I, I just saw the preview, uh, you know, of John Waite and his career. Um, I think it's called the hard way and, uh, we'll, we'll talk about it, but, um, uh, amazing, uh, uh, performer, uh, amazing songwriter, and uh, just a very charming and hilarious uh, guy. Yes, great. Uh, I wonder of, of a podcast worth your time. Let me tell you, you guys are doing a great job with that, Jay. So, so as we roll into our stories that we're going to talk about, uh, our first one, Jay, is uh, is is birthday greetings uh, to Shazam. Yeah. I can't believe that it's 20, 20 years old. I can't either. That is uh, stunning. But it went by fast, and congratulations <laughs> to... 
you know, Shazam, which is now part of Apple. Yep. And you can go into Apple Music for Artists and, and see your your data, which is really interesting. I think I told you a week or two ago that, you know, we had one um, particular song that got like a million Shazams, like in a very short period of time because it was featured in a film. And it was so interesting to go in there and watch you know, where those are coming from yeah. and, uh, and to learn from it. But, uh, I know you're a big fan. It's probably the, the app that I use the most on my without phone. I use it probably every day Absolutely. without it. When I'm watching, uh, when I'm watching, uh, let's say a movie or something and a song comes up or, you know, sometimes I'm, I'm at a movie theater or where I may be at a coffee shop and something comes up and, I, when I hear something, I want to know what it is. Yeah, absolutely. And and it's and, and you and I were talking before the thing is, I mean, literally when I'm watching TV, I have my, my phone next to me for that reason. Because if it, there's so many great uh, music supervisors and lots of great songs. Uh, but anyway, so, so they turned 20. As of last week, it has officially surpassed 70 billion song recognitions. Needless wow. to say, it's a mainstay in popular culture. The platform has changed the way people engage with music by making song identification accessible to everyone. For more than 225 million global monthly users to Shazam is to discover something new. To mark the occasion, Shazam invites fans to take a trip down memory lane with a special playlist comprised of the most Shazammed song of each calendar year for the past 20 years. It features everything from Train's Hey Soul Sister to See His Cheap Thrills. The pl- uh, the playlist is a true reflection of the music fans across the globe actively searched uh, uh, uh yeah, uh, actually searched for over the past two decades. Listen to it now over on Apple Music. And I, ha- it's so I haven't good. had it for 20 years. I'm trying to it's remember so when I actually got it, but it's unbelievable. Yeah. Those playlists are really interesting to see what was popular. Yes. You know, well, not just what was popular, but what, what were people not knowing what it was? Um, and where did they hear it? You know, that sort of thing. Over the years, Shazam's global charts have played a crucial role in helping identify breaking new talent like Masked Wolf, who was one of Shazam's five artists to watch in 2021 and ended up having the most Shazam'd track globally that year with Astronaut in the Ocean. The fact that people all over the world took time out of their day to pull out their phone and Shazam my songs is a huge honor for me as an artist, said Masked Wolf. You know, you've got something special if you see the Shazam stats moving. Yes, indeed. Shazam charts have also become a barometer for unexpected pop culture moments. Kate Bush's, of course, we've talked about this, 1985 song Running Up That Hill being featured in Stranger Things led to an all-time peak Mm -hmm. in Shazams of the singer, and the track took number one on the Shazam Global Top 200 for 10 days. It ended up reaching the top of 25 national charts more than any other song in 2022. Keeping its finger on the pulse of music, Shazam has also played a key role in bringing local artists to a global audience. The longest-running global number one song of 2021 was Love uh, Nawaliti or something like that, a remix by Nigerian artist CK, which became the second song to surpass one million Shazams in a week. Uh, As Shazam has played an impactful role in my career, said CK. It allows millions of people all over the world to discover me and my unique Nigerian sound. It made me a global sensation even before I started to perform all over the world. The story CK cannot be told without Shazam connecting me to the world. Yeah. What I love about 
uh, seeing that Shazam data is you can kind of see where it's happening. The only thing you can't see is the granular level. Like you can see that it's happening in this city, but it doesn't say it's Joe's coffee shop on third Avenue. I mean, that would be really interesting to, uh, to get that granular data with its continued commitment to innovation over the past two decades or so, Shazam is pioneering new ways to bring fans closer to the music and the artists that they love with new tools like concert discovery feature, you know, that spotlights concert information and tickets on sale for shows nearby. Simply, you know, when you Shazam a song or by searching for it in the Shazam app. Um, while Shazam remains focused on the future of music discovery, today's anniversary, or actually this week's anniversary, offers an opportunity to look back at the notable moments and milestones that make up those 20 years of history. And let's just let's just skim over a few of these cool milestones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, and this this kind of puts this 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 reminds me now of when I was when I dialed into it. So, it started back in August of 2002. They launched as a text message service based in the UK. Uh, at the time, users could identify songs by dialing 2580 on their phone and holding it up as the song played. <laughs> they were then sent an SMS message telling them the song title and the name of the artist. But for me, that's July of 2008. That's when it launched on the brand new App Store. Uh, they later, they later uh, launched on the the Android version back in October of 2008. Uh, in 2015, in April, it became available on the first Apple Watch. In 2018, in September, it joined the Apple family, basically. Basically, uh, in June of last year, they surpassed one billion Shazams per month. May of this year, they Crazy. surpassed two billion lifetime installs, and just uh, just last or this month, uh, they celebrated twenty years of discovery and hit seventy billion all-time Shazams. Unreal. That's crazy. Uh, well, here are a few of like notable firsts. Uh, the first ever Shazammed song. That was Jeepster by T-Rex. I, I used to play that in my uh, in my high school band. Um, first Shazam song on the iOS app is How Am I Different by Amy Mann, and that was July of 2008. Uh, the first track to reach 1,000 Shazams was Cleaning Out My Closet by Eminem, and that was back in September of 2002. The first track to reach 1 million Shazams um, was a song by Kesha called TikTok, and that was uh, February of 2010. Um, and it goes on and on and on, you know, like when they reached first 20 million, you know, the first uh, artist to hit 100 million, that was David Guetta back in 2015. That's a lot of Shazam. Yes, it is. Um, and then the, a couple of them, which I thought was really interesting, were um, the fastest tracks to accumulate Shazams. Yeah, how about uh, the fast track to reach 1 million Shazams was Butter by BTS, only took nine days. Uh, how about 10 million Shazams, Shape of You by Ed Sheeran, which took 87 days. And 20 million was Dance Monkey by Tones and I, 219 days. So uh, yeah. they, it, I can't believe they have all this data. I mean, it makes sense they have all this data, but it's funny to, to read. They're, they're fun stats. They though, are. Right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, they talk about what are the most Shazam songs of all time? Um, well, Drake is the most Shazammed artist mm -hmm. um, with over 350 million Shazams, um, which is crazy. I mean, he had 17 million just on the song One Dance. Uh, you just mentioned Dance Monkey by Tones and I, and that is the most Shazam song ever with 41 million Shazams. I wonder where those are coming from. And then, of course, um, back when it was that 2580 text service, it was crazy by Gnarls Barkley. That was the most Shazam song. So anyway, happy birthday to Shazam. 
um, one of my favorite apps of all time. Um, I couldn't live with well, that. and you know, we we also mentioned before we hit record this morning that I would go into record stores and go look at the phono log because that was that yellow catalog of information that was updated. You you had to, yes. it, it was every record store had it, and that's how I used to try to you know you'd hear a song on the radio and it's like there was just it's like what is this and I would just you know try to remember a couple of lyrics or you know sometimes you can kind of figure out the name of the song but and then I'd go to phonolog yeah. you know I'd have to wait and then oftentimes I would forget and I'd get into like oh what was the, what was a keyword in that oh, God. we have it so easy now it's just so fantastic yeah. oh my god so that was one of the most fun parts of working at tower records was every day someone would come in and hum you something yes. and, or they'd say, it's got the words this in it. And then we'd gather around and go, oh, I know what that is. And we were like a recommendation engine yes. or a search engine, right, as human beings. And you talk about phonolog. And for those that don't know, it was this big, giant catalog that you would see in record stores. And you could come in there and look by artist or by song title or album title, any kind of genre that you wanted. I think we had a separate one for the classical department, if I'm not mistaken. But anyway, it was so fun to look through that thing, you know, because it was pre-internet. And people like you would walk in and go, I'm looking for this song. And it, it starts with this. And we'd go through the phonolog. And um, if you were a new employee, you were the one that, like, you have to change the pages this week. Well, because they would send you new yes, pages, that's right. new sections yeah. that you would have to swap out, like, every week. <laughs> it sounds so archaic. When you think about it, um, but it just shows to how old we are. But you know, it's it's just like it was. It was just was. You know, you didn't think about. God, it'd be great if there was some sort of a thing like some, a device I held in my pocket that I could press a button on and it would tell me who this. Is. That's some couldn't even fathom Star Trek stuff. Yeah, right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So not not even happening. So anyway, it's it's fun to uh, to think back. But we are we live in wonderful times where it's immediate and. And that's I, I have. I just looked up. I have two. I have twenty eight hundred and sixty three Shazams in my in my Shazam playlist, going back to two thousand eight, basically. And it's that's an entirely. And I've 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 found so many different artists that I just fell in love with. And yeah, fantastic. Oh, me too. And I built playlists from it. And I've ended up being a fan of certain artists because I've heard it, you know, in some coffee shop somewhere. And I went, I want to hear more. Um, it's just an absolute joy to use. The other thing that I talk to, you know, my kids about is today you can just Google something and, you know, uh, reach out to people. And it's, it's just so, so amazing. But there's a site I wanted to tell you about. If you haven't seen it, it's called Let Me Google That For oh, You. So what happens is if somebody calls you up and says, hey, what time does a movie start tonight? You go into Let Me Google That For You and what it, and you put in, you know, the information and what it does is it sends a message to your friend and it takes their cursor, goes to Google, types in what time's the movie start. <laughs> I've used that so many it's times. It's just so much fun if somebody sends you a question that's just so like, you know, what's the weather today? Oh, let me Google that for you. And it's how many times do people ask you something that you yourself don't know the answer to, but you're just gonna Google it. And that's it's a very snarky response to to people that are asking you questions that they could have Googled themselves. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a yeah, crack up. So. so, All right, let's jump. Ah, technology. Yes, indeed. Let's jump to, the, uh, to our second story, Jay, from Billboard magazine. This shouldn't surprise any of us. TikTok curators are helping songs go viral. And this will shock you, Jay. And labels are writing checks. Um, no. Yes. Can you believe it? Yeah, we do. We do talk about this a little bit. And we've talked about 
um, curators and influencers. Um, uh, my friend Johnny has this really cool company called Songfluencer um, that we've used for some campaigns. This one talks about a company that I've been looking into a little bit. I haven't used them. This um, ATG Group, mm-hmm. an LA-based management and marketing company. Um, it stands for Against the Grain. Um, I reached out to uh, one of their founders this morning, so hopefully I can uh, have a, a chat with him. Um, but it's it's really interesting how this business of TikTok curators, influencers, uh, it's it's a big business, and uh, there are companies based on this, and um, they talk to some of these artists who have had success, you know, with these companies. Well, and which this whole thing about. Uh influencers being managed by a company was was surprising to me and I shouldn't have been surprising to me I never really thought it through that much so it starts by talking about a one of the influencers a, a someone named Spencer Stewart he goes by uh, Sispence and he has more than 350,000 followers now um, but he wow. is one of close to a dozen TikTok creators with followings uh, ranging from around 40,000 to over 3 million managed by this company you, you referenced Against the Grain ATG they're an LA based man management and marketing company um, and it's just uh, again about and this is something that that we were you were always looking for these people way before the internet you know you wanted to reach when you were marketing a new band you wanted to reach that kid in high school or that kid in college or that kid in your neighborhood that was just the person that was always reading always taste had maker, a taste right? maker a taste maker exactly and so this is the, the 2022 version of those tastemakers and the, the Spencer Stewart, the, the, the one that they profiled at the beginning, he was an artist himself and he kind of started by um, uh, uh, commenting on, on, in this case, hip-hop artists that were well-known and he kind of tried to wrap his own music into his review, but he realized that he was getting followers um, for his reviews and, and his comments on these artists and he kind of is building that. And again, this is, and, and now he's got all these followers but now they've got management companies that are doing that and it's it is a big big deal and as uh, this this person Harrison Golding mentioned for he's the director of marketing over Empire um, who keeps in touch with more than 50 curators with so many labels invested in pushing music on TikTok right now people are spending a crazy amount of cash on promotion but we're finding that we can make a splash via a curator's post with 400 or 500 bucks. So it, it's not yeah. gigantic money, but it starts to add up. Well, right. It can it be. Can be. Um, I've seen some of these, depending on the, uh, the footprint that some of these curators have, it can be a lot more money. But let's talk for a second about what, what they mean by these curators and influencers. So it could be someone on TikTok who is doing, you know, let's say they have a big following and they're maybe doing a dance to your song, mm-hmm. or maybe they're doing a makeup tutorial with your music in the background that, you know, it, it designates that that's what that is. There are a lot of different ways. Um, we we talked about one, uh, this Jake, who was, you know, asking his mother, you know, oh, yeah. uh, who, who something was, yes. right, and, and would play it. Or some of these people are taking their music and combining it with uh, music that's already popular. So there's a, a whole bunch of different ways that people can use these um, editor curators. Um, they, they talked to Jen Darmafall, you know, from Warner Brothers. And, and Jen said that, you know, 
This curator promotion is a big part of most of our campaigns. She's the associate director of influencer marketing at Warner Brothers Records. Now think about that. They have a position just on influencer marketing. She says that it plays a big role in songs potentially going viral. Interesting. Yeah, it really is. Um, I'm not... Uh, you know, like everything, it's what used to be something that was somewhat organic now feels so um, not organic. I mean, it is organic. It's it, it's the new organic for the times, I suppose. But it, it and, yeah. and but again, it, when you talk about what, what kind of a difference it makes, it says, uh, you know, they, they talk about the various techniques. And then it says, you know, each of these techniques can help a track stream jump. If one of these post, post, posts hits, it can take a song that's doing 5,000 streams a day on Apple Music and push it to 200,000 uh, streams a day. You're going to see a real translation to streams because that's the whole subject matter of the TikTok post. You're talking about a song, adds a senior label executive yeah. who requested anonymity to speak about his marketing efforts. Mm-hmm. The music isn't background noise. So we are talking about songs and I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying that. And it's not so much about the dance or about something like that necessarily, but yeah. but it is somewhat... Uh, and it still has to be good, Yeah, right? It's, it's still a meritocracy. It still has to be a good song right. in order for people to you know, light up. But, you know, Rebecca Versteeg, who's the head of music partnerships for Creed Media, said that TikTok is not just the dancing platform anymore. Uh, now you have every sort of community on the platform and, and music discovery community has has come into its own. And I'm hearing that more and more that people are Googling less and using TikTok as kind of their search engine when it comes to music it's discovery. Amazing. And, uh, you know, we, we talk a little bit uh, this week about um, TikTok becoming either a label or a distributor. And it's, it's a very powerful platform. But I think of things like um, product placement. You know, when you see a movie or a TV show and they're using a certain kind of computer or drinking a certain beverage, you know, that's, to me, those are influencers at, at some sure. point. And uh, if you're trying to market uh, a band or an artist, I think you always have to start with with great music. But if you have great music, how do you rise above the clutter? You know, when there's so many tracks uploaded to streaming services and, you know, there's only so much attention that people have. And TikTok right now is, you know, they're the shiny thing that people are focusing on. Um, The more I dig into this, the more I realize that um, most of these music companies have somebody who's focused really deeply on on TikTok and curators and influencers, as well as we talk about on the A&R side, how they're looking for things that are uh, taking off um, and then signing those artists as quickly as possible to gain market share for their company. Yeah. One of the things, the way the article ends, <clears throat> you know, at this point, so many of these influencers and, and folks that were talking to you for the article, you know, they... They do get paid, but they won't take money for anything. They they are somewhat selective. Um, but if we've, if, don't forget, this goes back. You remember what was the, in the nineties when the when the when the, the another payola thing exploded, and you know you we've and we've been in label meetings where you know a lot of this money was going around and. And it starts to dilute it when it becomes more of a business. And when it's true fans right. that are that are interested in the songs and talking about the songs, then it's it's real. But as well, let me interject yeah. on that really quickly because um, it there are certain things that are illegal, mm-hmm. like paying for radio airplay. Mm-hmm. Right, the things that we're talking about here are not illegal Correct. at all. Yes. 
Um, there's nothing that's illegal about um, paying someone to promote your music or even paying for uh, a user-curated playlist um, placement. Mm-hmm. But I remember things started to change um, when I worked at Tower Records. I remember when labels started purchasing the end caps mm-hmm. in, in programs. And it took away the local music or the local personality of uh, those stores. I remember we, I was in Tower, uh, Portland, and there was one in Beaverton not too far away. And the manager was Dave Williams, and he liked this band called Lions and Ghosts, mm-hmm. um, which As I, I did. Parker was a lead singer, and he had a solo. Yeah, they were great, yeah. right? Um, their guitar player married uh, Priscilla Presley's oh, that's right. uh, daughter. Yeah. Michael, was, yeah, anyway, yeah, we're, yeah. yeah, Michael Lockwood. <laughs> yes. We, but we digress again. <laughs> um, but I remember when he just loved that band, so he set up an end cap and did a promotion. And so those years, uh, that kind of stopped, and it w- everything was sort of paid for. And I think it robs you of the personality of the store. And I think what they're saying in this article is um, they're not going to take on uh, a song uh, to promote. With their uh, curators, um, influencers, if it's not something that fits that curator's brand, um, or it's not a great song, right. um, but there is a lot of good and great music out there, and this is one way, at least today, that you can get it in front of people rather quickly. Yeah, and if you can build up your own uh, followers as a curator yourself, you can make some decent money on the side. So. We'll see where that goes, Jay. That's you know, right. but uh, it, it, that's right. It's very interesting. Very interesting, and yet when you know the the effectiveness of that can can uh, rapidly evaporate when money comes into the play, and and yeah, we'll see. We'll just see <laughs> what could yeah. go wrong, right? Yeah. Watch this space. <laughs> there you go. Our latest, our last one, actually from uh, Peter Sinclair. How much should indie artists fear a major label push for a two tiered payout system? Wait a minute. Two-tiered payout system? That's not yeah. very cool. Well, just for those that don't know, the, the what they're talking about, this two-tier payout, is that there have been some rumblings <laughs> that there are, there are um, powers that be that would like to have maybe indie artists paid less than uh, the majors. And uh, there was a really interesting um, article that came out recently from Believe CEO... Uh, Dennis Laid Gallery. And, Ooh, is that, is you know, that he, how you pronounce his last name? Yeah. I oh, good it. man. <laughs> I looked at that. I'm like, I'm going to let Jay I wasn't take that take one. take a chance with that one. Look how long <laughs> yes, that is. I, you know, it's right. almost every letter in the alphabet. Yes. Uh, sorry, Dennis. Um, but he's the owner of TuneCore and Believe Distribution. And that article claimed that major labels are lobbying streaming services to pay lower royalty rates to independent distributors and DIY artists. And you can imagine that this uh, got some people uh, uh, upset. He said that I know major record labels are pushing for lower rates for DIY artists. And I just don't think it's right. I think it's wrong. So this is what sort of lit people up this last week. And, uh, and this piece, which um, was, I think I saw this on LinkedIn, Um, but it's, it's a really fascinating um, kind of op-ed about this whole two-tiered approach. Well, and you can understand the the outrage and, and again, the sort of the gall because you've got these major labels that are, in some cases, flush with IPO cash. And now you want to make, you want to, you know, give a haircut to the little guys? That's like, 
really? Yeah, that's, but that is, that is potentially um, what could happen. And I don't know. Um, Peter says, you know, it's, it's easy to worry about that the major labels are finally waking up, flexing their muscles and are getting ready to crush the indie, indie sector, just like Amazon and Walmart have deep six local retailers and countless small business worldwide. But he says that's not the story here. He says as unfair as a two-tier pay system would be, this is not so much a story about unfairness, but just how much the major labels have already lost their grip. As recently as 10 years ago, most new artists viewed getting signed as a marker of a career success. There was a good reason for that, as major labels played a key role for artists in the old world. Majors invested in artists when they didn't have a sizable fan base, paired them with great creatives to aid to their development, provided exposure with marketing teams and radio promotion, and access distribution in ways no one else could. For decades, there was no meaningful path to get even close to the charts without a label contract. That was their power and the thing that allowed them to amass the mountains of IP that, of course, earns them billions in profits today. And we've certainly talked over the last weeks, Jay, about how important catalog is in the streaming business. And if Right. And let's talk about catalog just really quickly because there's a lot of uh, news this, this week about, about catalog. And we mentioned last week, you know, catalog is 18 months or older. Um, but if you look at what's catalog now it's things like Adele and uh, you know Lizzo and things like that so is that really catalog and you know you know my opinion on it I think it should be based on on velocity but yeah you know catalog you know what they're pointing out in this uh, in this op-ed is that they're these majors are really making their revenue you know 73 percent of the business is is catalog and um, they also point out that you can make it today without a label. Now I'm not a label basher. Mm -mm. You know, you and I have worked for labels most of our career and I've seen labels uh, that have integrity and when they go after something and they have that knowledge base and that global um, uh, reach and those relationships, they can move mountains, right? Um, But what they're, they're kind of pointing out here that Today, plenty of artists top the charts and win Grammys without the help of major labels, like, you know, even artists on some DIY platforms who aren't even with indie labels. You know, you and I talk about DistroKid and CD Baby Mm -hmm. and, you know, uh, places like that, TuneCore. You know, some of these um, don't even have a label and they're they're doing well. Um, Canadian singer-songwriter Lauren Spencer-Smith, you know, reached number one. uh, And French hip-hop artist Landy, both TuneCore artists... You know, they topped the chart this year. Um, TuneCore isn't the only independent distributor to have achieved, you know, a number one, um, but it won't be the last either. Right. But he says, as a result, major labels aren't just losing market share. They're already minority players in new music. He says, let's walk through the math. Majors maintain between 60 and 70 percent market share. Depends. There's some variance in there, but as recent Nielsen reports tell us, about 70% of all music consumption is catalog. We were just talking about that. And the majors are sitting on a mountain of it from when they had upwards of 90% of the market. He says, so if the majors mm-hmm. even have even 80% share of catalog and catalog is 70% of the market, that means that their share of new music across the world has to be much less than their overall share, possibly even less than 40%. He says that's simple math. They also have an even smaller role, and we talked about this a lot, in developing new artists at the very earliest stages of their careers, which is where all the long-run value, leverage, and power in the music industry comes from in the first place. Mm -hmm. And I think you and I have talked about this before, and I, I think... 
um, in the in our era when we got into the business, um, labels were were much better at investing early on in an artist's career. It has evolved. Artist development. Artist development. It has evolved now where they're much better at creating brush fires from existing campfires and they and it's and but they're not they used to be pretty good at building campfires also they're not so much anymore and so that's really in in my view anyway is the evolution of major labels which is they don't do that really in the trenches development artist yeah. development it's a different business yeah it's a different business we talked about that warner brothers book and back in those early early days you could get signed just for having great music mm-hmm. Without a, without a fan base. You could get signed because you were a friend of um, somebody who was an executive, you know, that sort of thing. Today, there you really have to start your own fire. You ha- They look at your social footprint. They look at what's going on on TikTok. You know, they look at your, your streams. They look at your tour history. You need to build your own brand and your own thing primarily, and then they'll throw gasoline on your fire, um, but you're absolutely right. It's they're not going to take a, a chance. Not very no. often. And as Peter says, strong and scrappy management teams, more efficient independent labels and artist service companies, all of whom leave the bulk of IP ownership with the artists, have stepped in to fill the void left by majors. The majors' abandonment of new artist development. Again, exactly what we were talking about. So he says the DSPs know the majors are losing share and that new artist development isn't what they do anymore. They also know that even though 70% of music consumption is from catalog, new music and artist development is where the game is played. 50% of music consumption is from songs released in the last five years. So before long... Read that one yeah. again. That, I hadn't seen that I hadn't seen I have that not stat either. before. 50% of music consumption is from songs released in the last five years. That's an interesting factoid. Is that true? Hmm. I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah. I will certainly ask around. Yeah. Um, this is somebody's opinion. This is sure. an op-ed. It's an op-ed. But, um, he, but he says, so before long, the yeah. minority position of the majors in new music will become a minority position in catalog. Well, that's an interesting take as well. Given this set of facts, don't yeah. expect the DSPs to hand the majors better rates and more leverage when they've already lost hold of the source of their power. It's just not in the DSP's interest. Hmm. By the way, this was written by Peter Sinclair. Mm-hmm. I don't know if we mentioned that, who's the CEO and co-founder of Beatbread. And Beatbread is this really interesting company. You should look up their uh, website. There are a few others like this. I think they were one of the first in the space to really help indie artists by financing them, right? So, and then you could get money from Beatbread and they, they, they sort of look at your... Mm-hmm you know, your sales streams, download your commerce and everything. And they'll say, okay, you've got this kind of revenue stream coming in. We're going to give you X amount of dollars and we'll take a small percentage, you know, interest on paying that back. But it's such a great tool for, you know, indie artists that have a little bit of a base and they want to have money to finance their new album or their new project or whatever. Um, I, I find the I, I don't think we've had him on the Music Business uh, Weekly podcast, but we should. You know, that's more of that DIY podcast that I do. Um, but I've done a little bit of uh, reading on Beat Bread and uh, uh, what Peter Sinclair is doing over there is is really cool. Um, I also like the fact you know I don't know. I mean, surely he has some skin in the game in indie on the indie Absolutely. side by because of his business, and that's great. Um, I just I like to be careful when characterizing major labels and painting them all with a broad stroke, yeah. um, because frankly, you you can't do that with people and you can't do that with majors. Majors aren't evil, and yes, there are some 
you know, that are maybe A&R departments that are lazy and just looking at TikTok and trying to grab that market share. But more often than not, it's more about uh, the artistry um, and the commerce comes uh, after. But having said that, these are businesses um, and they need to, some of them have to answer to shareholders mm-hmm. and, you know, they do need to uh, make a living. But, you know, it's it's always a challenge when you're looking at art and and commerce, um, and, <laughs> and it always and the will bottom be. line here is I don't I don't think a two tier system is fair. But then again, I haven't seen you know any majors yet step out and say this is what we want. I'm just hearing kind of rumblings of this, so we'll watch this carefully and see how it evolves. But uh, really interesting uh, piece there by uh, Peter Sinclair over uh, at Beeper. Yes, and Murray Stassen did a really good piece on the same conversation uh, over oh, yeah. at Music Business Worldwide. And uh, so, you know, it's it'll it's interesting to see if this comes to pass. And, and like we said, we're just going to keep, keep paying attention to that. Um, and we shall see. We shall see where this goes. Yeah, let's... You, you touched on something. I, for those that are really interested in, in another take on this and a little deeper dive... Um, the headline from Murray Stassen's article on Music Business Worldwide is TikTok owns a patent for a music service and it's hiring for TikTok music staff. Um, that's in your morning coffee, uh, one of the lead stories this week. So definitely uh, check that out. That's a really out. interesting one, by the way. And they did such a deep dive on uh, basically looking looking at uh, patent filings and lots of interesting things to, yes. to, to build the story. So uh, that might be, actually, we might we want to cover that next week because that's a really interesting story. So yeah. anyway, uh, lots it of great It really stuff. is. And, and music business worldwide is, you know, one of the leaders in this space. If you ever want to uh, see what's going on in the music industry, uh, they are fantastic. And uh, they have a really great podcast, too, that I don't miss uh, any episodes of. It's so uh, good. Tim, I've said this before. Tim, Tim, Ingham. Tim Ingham is, he's a robot. He is the dude. He's like, he's flawless, doesn't make mistakes. I've you know, we aim to be that good. <laughs> I'm not there yet, <laughs> but I aim to Never be happened. for what it's worth. Exactly. <laughs> well, Jay, we got to yeah. wrap up the episode uh, and start our weekend. Although, and by the way, when this drops on Monday, I want you to all think today's Jay Gilbert's birthday because it will be his birthday. Oh, thank you. And you know, 29 yeah. years old and boy, he is getting up there, Jay. One more to 30. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah, what did my uh, my grandfather used to say? I'm one loud noise or bad meal away from the grave. <laughs> <laughs> I hope not. I hope not. So uh, so so sh- uh, shout out some birthday greetings thank to you, my, my buddy Jay uh, when you hear this on Monday. And I want to thank, of course, the wonderful folks that bring us to the table. It yes, oh my sir. goodness, we couldn't do the show without our good friends over at Banzoogle, Hypebot, and Bands in Town. Big thanks, and uh, we appreciate. You, the listener, Jay and I, uh, we do not uh, we do not take it anything for granted with in terms of our listeners. So big thanks. No. So uh, on behalf of Jay and Appreciate myself, it. we say have a great week and thank you for listening. We'll be back next week on the Your Morning Coffee podcast. You've been listening to Your Morning Coffee, the weekly music news program for the new music business. Join Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchard next time for the digital music news you need to know.